This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine This Week has been provided by RSM. For challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax, and consulting for the middle market. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. Want to thank you for joining us on AutoLine this week. You know, some people say that the automotive industry is approaching the end of the ice age, the internal combustion engine. But is that really the case? What's really going to happen here in the next decade? Well, to get to the bottom of that, I've invited three experts who really dive into this. We've got Bob Gritzinger, Christy Schweinsberg, and Tom Murphy, all from Wards. These are journalists who study this issue, uh, collect data on it, analyze it, report on it. So I want to thank all three of you for joining me here today. Thanks. Thank you, John. Good to be uh, here. Bob, well, let me throw it out to you to begin with, and you all can jump in. Is this the end of the ice age? Not by far. Uh, there will be internal combustion engines uh, in our projections well out to 2050. Now, what do you see? In various you, forms. Th there's other people predicting, no, it, it's over and done with, everything's going electric. A decade from now, 100% will be electric. Mm, Why do you say no? A decade from now, 10%, right? If even. I if mean, even. That, that's... Uh, why, why so, Christy? Why, you know, because the expectation among some people is that there's, we're just on the tipping point of electrics just taking off and taking over the industry. The sales results up to now have not been positive, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. You know, other than Tesla, nobody is selling BEVs, battery electric vehicles. Uh, Tesla sold 155,000 Model 3s, we estimate, last year. If you add together the volume of all the other nameplates, which I think are roughly a dozen, you probably get another 100,000, and that's across multiple automakers. And then if you look at the broader market, you know, our forecasting partner, LMC Automotive, looks at out to 2030, half of the market, this is globally, of all powertrains uh, you know, available in all vehicles, half of the market is electrified. That means 50% is still internal combustion, mm. uh, which means uh, engines that we have in the market today, if they, you know, the only way they can remain competitive in 2030 is either they're, either they're being fully replaced or they're being significantly improved. So we asked this question of a number of automakers. We just hosted a conference on this topic a couple of weeks ago, and we asked BMW and Ford and General Motors and Hyundai and Toyota, do you have clean sheet engines in the works? And yes, they do. Chris and I are going to tell us exactly what, but we know that Toyota has them coming. In other words, just for the, those who don't understand the term clean sheet engine, yeah. you're, you're saying these automakers are developing brand new internal combustion engines that are probably still a couple of years away. They're working right. on them right now. They are, yeah. Not a ton of them. You're right. I mean, because there's only so much money you can spend. If you have to develop your battery electrics and your hybrids and your plug-in hybrids and perhaps fuel cells, I mean, that's a lot of money that, that you have to devote to that. So, so you have to scale back somewhat on your... You know, on your uh, on your ice developments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
what, what are the technologies then besides electrification that will improve the internal combustion engine or are, are there technologies yet to come? Well, valve train controls, uh, emissions, exhaust, uh, electrified turbos. Uh, just in the past four months, uh, two different suppliers have announced uh, electrified turbochargers, essentially using the electric motor to serve as the supercharger compressor, but also operating as a generator to harvest exhaust gas power to put it back into the battery. So things like that uh, step it up. The VC turbo. Yeah, well, and I consider 48 volt to be a really important component. It, it's an add-on to the internal combustion engine, but it's, it's getting you a certain level of efficiency and excellent stop-start, very smooth. When it shuts off, it turns back on very smoothly. Um, and it's not that expensive, and you can put it on a Ram pickup truck, and you can put it on a Wrangler, and you can put it on all sorts of vehicles. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, Christy, what do you think suppliers should do uh, when it comes to this? I mean, here we're talking about the internal combustion engine not going away anytime soon, but it needs more electrification. And meanwhile, i got to believe battery electrics will continue to grow. Right. Well, we're seeing consolidation, and presumably there will be even more consolidation on the supply side for ICEs. Um, I don't know. I don't have good advice to give, you know, because certainly the regulations are such that people are doing things immediately, planning to do things immediately or in the near future, but the market, the, the consumer is not thinking, gee, I really want a BEV. There's a de definite disconnect there. Mm -hmm. The yeah, suppliers are in a very difficult position because they've been producing parts for internal combustion engines. They are trying to manage this transition from making valves and making all the hard parts and camshafts and, and springs and so many things that have gone into engines for so long, trying to keep making some of that, but pivot, pivot in, uh, you know, into more electrification. And um, some, some are going to succeed and some are going to decide to find other lines of work. But it's, it's interesting also, though, that suppliers are now, I think, picking up more of the, the weight, more of the work as it relates to developing, building, maybe even manufacturing the electric motors as opposed to the OEM-directed system where they own the small block, they own the Hemi. It's, it's our engine, we build it in-house. We'll take a few, you know, we'll take some valves from you or some parts here, but we build the motor, the engine. Now the supplier may take more of a role in building the parts and assembling the motor. Yep. I gotta believe when you look out on the world, not just in the US market, that you're going to see different trends of adoption, a lot based on local conditions and even regulations. What, what do you think we're going to see? Well, so um, in some of our data that we, that we recently reported, uh, we looked at that question, you know, the major markets, um, Asia, Europe, and uh, North America, and it was interesting um, we see most of the growth coming in mild hybrids, which is, you know, the... The 48 the, volts. The 48 volt and the stop-start and the BEVs. And it's uniform. The, the growth in those two segments from now to 2030 is, is equally aggressive in North America, Europe, and in Asia. It's really interesting, I think. Hmm. But 48 volt is spiking in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
it's coming. I, I got to believe that's because it's the lowest cost solution mm -hmm. to, to being able to meet fuel economy and emissions regulations. Easy way to get there. And if you can do a, a 48 volt motor, which has now been developed by Continental to, um, to also power the vehicle at zero emission, no ICE involved, now you have uh, that low speed vehicle that can go into the carbon free zones, the inner cities. Very yep. interesting. Um, Christy, what do you think is, is holding back EV adoption? Is it the cost? Because these cars are significantly more expensive, certainly to manufacture. Sometimes automakers uh, will put a lower price on it. They don't make any money on it. Or is it just consumer resistance or a combination? What do you think? I think a huge part of it is consumers just don't know what's available because these vehicles have not been marketed. Um, Tesla, of course, doesn't need any marketing because everybody knows Tesla. You see the vehicles on the road, even here in the Detroit area, which is a big three stronghold. There's plenty of Teslas. Um, we live in a bubble. Uh, we know these vehicles, we know we what's the available. Media that covers this. Yeah, yeah but the, the general public has no idea about the Chevy Volt or, or the Bolt or um, you know the BMW i3 plug-in hybrid and BEV. These vehicles are really anonymous in the marketplace. Yeah, let alone the 30 coming in the next year or two. Exactly. Right. So I think automakers really need to step up their marketing efforts. I mean, if they gen generally want to sell these vehicles, they need to let people know they're out there. And it's disappointing because the Bolt is enjoyable to drive. Is, the yeah. Kona EV, the Hyundai Kona right. EV, enjoyable to drive. Yes, the Tesla Model 3 is enjoyable to drive, but I mean, you can you can really uh, enjoy driving a battery electric vehicle, especially if you're talking 250 miles of range or more. Hmm. You know, that'll get you to Traverse City. Um, yeah. You know, on one charge. So um, it's it's not that scary, I, I think. Uh, but it it all depends on whether it's going to fit into a consumer's lifestyle, mm -hmm. right? I mean, not everybody can look at this is how far it takes for me to get to work in the morning, and this is going to work for me. You know, especially if I'm not perhaps able to charge at the office. Or at home, I get and infrastructure. you know, with a, a level yeah. two at home. Infrastructure is so, a huge yeah. issue as well. Um, where to charge these vehicles. I mean, Tesla has their own network. That's, that's mm -hmm. great for them. Everybody else, you know, it's, it's scattered. Uh, you've got Electrify America coming out now. That looks very promising, but we'll see. Um, but again, who know, does the general public even know about Electrify America? Right. They don't. And one of the issues I've seen is that there are a lot of charging stations all across the country, and people who own EVs know this. Mm -hmm. And as you all know, you can call up on the navigation screen, right. where's the nearest charging station, right. and it'll on your nav. And tell it'll you even how to get tell you if it's available and open or if it, somebody's using it. Exactly. Yeah. And so, but there's no signs mm -hmm. out so that the public can see, oh, there's a charging station. Right. Mm -hmm. They tend to be hidden away, tucked away, in, in the like. Right. So I think. There's probably more charging stations out there than the public's even aware of because there's no signage for it. You have to be mentally prepared for this transition in your in your lifestyle. If, if you're interested in it, then you're going to go on the web and you're going to start looking around and, oh, look, there's a map that shows me where all the charging stations are within a five-mile radius of my house. I mean, it's just a matter of whether you're interested in it or not. I mean, people who are perhaps driving full-size pickup trucks aren't there yet. Possibly. Um, maybe they will be when they find out that there's going to be a battery-powered uh, Silverado and a, yeah, yeah. an F-150. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, to me, really, it is about a, you know, kind of a mental conversion of, of 
getting people interested in them. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think right now we're at this point where there's gonna be in the next couple of years some really interesting vehicles coming out. We've got the Porsche Taycan, which is all electric, hot car, $180,000 yeah. yeah. starting But at the so other end, the Mustang Mach-E yeah, Mustang is Mach going to be, also got gonna the be Volkswagen, a game changer, I think. You know, we've got the in Volkswagen uh, Cross that's coming, that's, that's going to come out of Chattanooga. That's all electric. It's going to be a volume utility vehicle. We've got the Audi e-tron, which I know that's also expensive. But the, the point is, you know, the automakers are throwing everything that they can at this right now, uh, despite very small market. So um, it, mm -hmm. it's, it's a very difficult proposition for them financially. Yeah, it, it seems to me uh, 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 the biggest challenge for electric cars is the cost of the batteries. Whoever solves that or can get yeah. the cost down is gonna blow this market wide open. But Bob, have you guys looked at that? I mean, battery prices have come down significantly. Uh, uh, dramatically by uh, uh, the measure, kilo, you know, price per kilowatt hour, uh, but still not to the same level as uh, you know what it would cost to put the, a, uh, an ICE powertrain with all of its ancillary equipment into the vehicle. So it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, there have been reports, a uh, variety of uh, analyses about battery cost uh, coming down to maybe 100 a kilowatt hour. Um, something recent said, no, you can't go below 124 a kilowatt hour. Uh, yeah, there was an MIT study that said everybody who's predicting that battery costs are going to continue to drop is ignoring the cost mm -hmm. of the materials mm -hmm. that go into the batteries, the lithium, the manganese, the, the cobalt, the copper. They say you can't get below $124. Those prices don't change. Right. Or, Material, or they get worse. You can't go below the cost of the materials that mm -hmm. go into the vehicle. But that's also true or for internal combustion engines. I mean, it's not like making engines is going to become cheaper. No, that's a great cause, point, cause, Tom. Yeah. Talk more about well, that. Well, you've got raw materials that are devoted to the... You've got uh, compacted graphite iron blocks that are, you know, they're, they're lightweight and they're very durable, uh, but they're more expensive. somewhat expensive yeah. to make, you know. So, um, and then a lot of technology that we're putting into these internal combustion engines, uh, variable... Um, valve duration. Variable valve duration and, and also this uh, variable compression technology from Nissan. I mean, fascinating stuff. Both of those technologies made our 10 best engines list, 10 best engines and propulsion systems list. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to see more of that stuff. And, and it's, it's going to be expensive to bake that into internal combustion engines. Meanwhile, for the electric vehicles, it's basically motors. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. you can really devote your time to making a motor more effective, but if that battery cost comes down to $124, then, you know, if the gasoline engine, if, if, it, you know, if all of the internal combustion engine technologies are becoming more expensive, it, you do kind of reach, you, you, at least at some uh, point, you get... Narrow the gap. Yeah, close you get within the gap, striking yeah. distance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, every, every engineer I've talked to has said, well, clearly plug-in hybrids are the best solution. You can travel pure electric power. You plug it in, you travel on the battery, but you've got this range extender, the, the internal combustion engine, and yet they just don't sell anywhere. Not in the, uh, They don't sell well. Mm -hmm. Sales have been going down in Europe, in the U.S., and China. Christy, why do you think? I think, again, the general public doesn't understand a plug-in hybrid. The general public... I mean, I don't mean to disparage a huge group of people, but I think a lot of people know their car has an engine. They don't know what size it is. They don't know if it's 
Mm -hmm. You know, they know how to put gas in it. They don't understand plug-in. Wait, now is that that big long extension cord? No, no, no. Uh, you know, it, it works in a different way, and as you point out, with the ability to operate fully electric, um, part of the problem is that uh, manufacturers may not be getting as behind it because they're not getting the credit for it, uh, because uh, regulators feel that people don't charge it and they don't drive it on pure electric power, so they should rate it as a gas engine. I happen to love the idea of a plug-in hybrid, love and that. the next car I buy, there's a very good chance that it will be a plug-in hybrid, because I, I like the idea of kind of playing this game um, each day of, okay, I've got X as my range, and how much, you know, how, how can I maximize that range, and thinking about where I'm going to charge next trying to keep that gasoline engine working as little as possible. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I Christy and today. I have both been Volt owners, yes. so. So you're already there. We're in We're tune. there, we're there. I drove here today in my Volt. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if I'm gonna have enough electric range to get back to the office, but it doesn't matter. But if you had I've a charger got, here, she would. We true. do have a charger here. Well, then <laughs> should have plugged in. Should have plugged in. Darn, wish I would. Uh, we have a level two charger, no less. Oh, perfect. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think what I've encountered too, if you talk to BEV enthusiasts, pure battery electric vehicle enthusiasts, they sneer at plug-in hybrids because the plug-in hybrids have very limited electric range, mm -hmm. typically. Mm -hmm. um, some less than 20 miles. Right. And, you know, if you drive it in winter conditions, you can probably even cut that in half. And so I, I think I agree with you, Christy, that the, the true electric car enthusiasts really don't like plug-ins, yes. and the public is confused. So there's a very narrow band of people who are willing to buy them. Right, right. Um, there's just so much confusion. I, last year I was at a Toyota event, and they presented some data that showed just a, a large percentage of the population believes a hybrid has to be plugged in. Not a plug-in hybrid, just a traditional hybrid. Mm. Um, and then there was even a percentage of those surveyed that thought above needed gas, I think. I, you know, it was a very small percentage, but there, there is a lot of confusion amongst the buying public. And, and, and how the people you... who know this stuff are all buying Teslas. <laughs> so, <laughs> What about hybrids then? I mean, Tom, you talked about 48 volts, but what about strong hybrids? More like what the Toyota Prius has. So, yeah, been. we had a hybrid that made our list this year, the Honda Accord hybrid. Um, great package that, um, you know, to Christie's point, you don't have to plug it in. It's It's kind of mindless, just put the gas in and away you go, and 47 miles per gallon um, is what we observed. Really impressive, um, and it's just, it's just everyday driving. You can go wherever you want with it because you're gonna get your, you know, you're gonna find gas wherever you need it. Um, and Toyota, this, this is what basically, you know, put hybrids on the, mar uh, uh, you know, on the map. The Prius and the Prius isn't doing great now. Um, hybrids overall are not doing great, but there's still a lot of them out there. The Toyota Rav4. They're doing I mean, the, well. They're doing. The Prius lost by you might think because the, of the Rav4. Because yeah. of the Rav4. Right. I mean, so I think they did about 93,000 uh, Rav4 hybrids last year. They expect That's a to, lot. It's a lot, and they expect to go over 100,000 this year. They've got new capacity. They're installing. Um, you know, I, a hybrid is, depending on how you look at it, more impactful than. A whole bunch of bevs. I mean, if you're selling 100,000 Rav4s and only 16,000 volts. I so mean, in that sense, you have the need for great internal combustion technology plus 
you know, great electrification. If you you know you put those two together and you've got you've got a hybrid, you've got a really good hybrid, you've got an enjoyable driving experience. So in that sense, I think there is still a future for those hybrids. I mean, the argument is that it's two powertrains. You're carrying around two powertrains. Yes, and that's and so, inefficient and costly. Uh, it, it is, but it's not as costly as a pure BEV. So mm -hmm. you know, if I look at where battery prices are now, like in the Chevrolet Bolt EV. The battery alone is about twelve thousand yeah. dollars. You know what I'm told, talking to experts right. in the industry. If you want to make uh, an ICE a strong hybrid, like uh, like a Prius, you're adding about two thousand, two thousand five hundred dollars cost. You know, so battery alone twelve thousand, mm -hmm. full hybrid system two thousand plus. Seems to me like the future should be bright for hybrids. Yeah, and, and pricing of hybrids uh, is, is coming down. Um, in some cases, a hybrid might be less expensive than a higher trim level of the pure ICE variant. I believe the Ford Escape, uh, the new uh, generation Ford Escape, this is the case. Yeah, the, the only car companies I see really taking hybrids seriously are Toyota number one, Ford number two, Honda number three. The others, some might dabble in it, but they don't seem to be taking it as seriously as those three. Yeah, I, I think um, uh, Wall Street is a factor yeah. there. You know, everybody wants to look progressive. Um, and that means battery electric. And that means battery electric. But if you yeah. come back to 48 volt, uh, come to find out, FCA has suddenly become the leader in that hybrid technology. And of all things, the Jeep Wrangler is their their leading mild hybrid seller. So it's uh, uh, kind of turning some of that on its head. But really, the biggest problem is that, uh, and not so much a problem, but that gas is so cheap. So you know. Well, certainly in the why US. Why worry about fuel economy like this? Yeah. In the U.S. Yeah. yeah. Uh, talk a little bit more about that uh, mild hybrid <coughs> because it's also in the Ram pickup. Yeah. Right. They don't call them hybrids. Take no, it from e there, Bob. E-Torque, and it's, you know, it's like uh, uh, they started uh, adding this technology to the, the V6 Pentastar as a standard uh, hybrid system in the 1500 Ram. Uh, they put it on the four-cylinder in the Wrangler, and turns out the Wrangler uh, hybrid version is, is outselling the Ram, which is a, a higher selling vehicle. So, yeah, so for the Wrangler, uh, we looked up the numbers, 66,000 four-cylinder Wranglers sold last year in the U.S. With which e are 48 volt. With, with e the 48 volt out of t about 230,000 Wranglers total. In the, mm -hmm. I mean, that's a, that's a big chunk. Mm -hmm. I, you wouldn't think that a lot of Wrangler buyers would want the four-cylinder, but um, clearly they've, you know, they've identified it. We, we should probably note the um, the Ram, uh, the e-torque in the Ram was a 10 best engines and propulsion systems winner. Yeah. Um, and we saw some really impressive real world fuel economy. Do you remember the numbers, Tom? What, what uh, we, we were well well into the 20s, 23, 24 miles per gallon. I think. Which is impressive in a huge In a full size pickup truck, absolutely. Yeah. And then that 48 volt system is also paired with to the Hemi in, in the Ram. So they've got, option. Yeah, yeah, so here, here we have FCA at the four cylinder, six cylinder, eight cylinder uh, mark for, you know, for 48 volt systems. Um, I, I just wanted to get back to that plug-in hybrid and hybrid sure. question. Yeah. We were talking about that and I, and I thought, 
Well, okay, so hybrids um, look, you know, look good, and then you talk about well, you got the cost and the extra cost of, of both an engine and uh, you know and the electrification side. But with a plug-in hybrid, you've got more battery. You still need you, you still need at least thirty or some miles of all electric range, and that, in my opinion, that that makes the hybrid more attractive because. You don't have that extra cost, you know, in the plug-in. You don't have it in the hybrid. So, yeah. mm -hmm. um, hey, uh, we're, we're getting down to the end, but we should talk about one potential propulsion system in the future: fuel cells. Yep. Ooh, are we going to going to see hydrogen fuel cells? I, there's some, you know, in California, for example, you can get a few of them from Hyundai and mm. Toyota and Honda, but the numbers are. I mean, this is like an experiment. Yeah. Again, on the on the personally owned vehicle side, it comes down to a question of infrastructure and there just aren't a lot of hydrogen refueling stations yet in California. They're increasing in number. There's more that are in the permit process that are coming, but certainly not the level of what you would find for gas refueling or even uh, electric vehicle charging stations. Um, we see it as a very, very small percentage of, of future uh, Available. So, yeah, so our forecast was, uh, you know, from LMC was suggesting um, well below zero right now, um, huh. going up, going up to 0.2 percent globally. Market uh, share. Yeah, market share. Uh, you know, in in yeah. several years down the road, a lot of that growth coming in Europe, and apparently BMW is going to be one of those big players. In addition to Hyundai and Toyota, who are who are already there. Uh, yeah, because Japan and China, or Japan and South Korea, South Korea. really pushing yeah. hydrogen fuel cells. Yeah, you mm -hmm. could probably get by with a fuel cell in one of those markets, but you know, in the U.S. or even Europe at this point, it's hard to it's hard to justify. But it is that future-looking technology that does work. Mm -hmm. We've driven it. Mm -hmm. We've given Awarded. ten best awards to it, um, and uh, it's out there. Yeah. Decades in the future, but eventually we'll just be emitting a little bit of water. And these are fun to drive. I mean, you've driven a fuel cell, right? I mean, there, there's nothing. Look, it's an electric unusual. car. It is. And yeah. instead of a battery, it's got a fuel cell, yeah. which generates electricity. Instead of having right. to plug it in, you pump it. And yeah, you can fill the tank almost as fast as it takes to Five fill minutes. a gasoline tank. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is worth noting that several automakers see a, a, a relatively robust market on the commercial vehicle side. For, sure. for fuel cells. Mm -hmm. So even if they don't succeed yeah. and in, in your neighbor, you don't have one in your driveway, chances are maybe the vehicle that brought your packages from Amazon yeah. might be a right. fuel cell. Especially yeah. for long haul across yeah. the country. Yeah. Long haul, but also in, in port, mm -hmm. those kinds of things. The places where you can create that hydrogen infrastructure in a closed environment. Okay, well, I appreciate you guys looking out at the next decade. Now all you have to do is wait 10 years and see how right you were. <laughs> but Bob Gritzinger, Christy Schweinsberg, Tom Murphy, thank you so much for sharing all your insights on the end of the ice age. Thank you, John. Underwriting for the production of Autoline this week has been provided by RSM. challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM 
Audit, tax and consulting for the middle market.